Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Ryan Repka, driver of the number 14 Reynolds Racing Chassis Late Model. You're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the May 10th edition of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 160 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself, we'll be talking Trans Am, IndyCar, F3, and whatever other motorsports topics pop into the conversation. The Trans Am series, presented by Pirelli Drivers, delivered a race to remember as the series celebrated 50 years of racing at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. The 70 minutes feature race included the TA, Super GT, and GT classes, ran at a relentless pace as the race went from flag to flag without caution. It was Ernie Francis Jr. who stole the show with a dominating 28.854 second win over the Burton Racing duo of Lawrence Loschak and Tommy Drizzy. After 66 Trans Am races, 48 podiums, and 38 race wins, nearly newly turned 21-year-old Francis finally got to sip the victory champagne in a glorious moment on the top step of the podium. Starting from the dirty side of the track on pole, Francis wheels spun and allowed points leader Loshak to get the jump on the young floor Florida driver going into turn one. Francis quickly recovered to reclaim his first place position before crossing the stripe, commanding the race from green to checkered for his first win of the season, bringing, breaking Loshak's two-race winning streak. Losing momentum, Loshak dropped to fourth as Chris Dyson and Dreesy passed him. Meanwhile, Dyson, who built a 10-second gap between himself and third-place Dreesy, started experiencing mechanical issues after he set his fastest lap of the race. The mechanical gremlins caused Dyson to pit, forcing him to give up his second-place position. The CD Racing Squad worked to get Dyson back on track, but the setback cost Dyson a possible podium as he was six laps down. With Dyson out, Tracy and Loshak diced for second and third, racing door-to-door, entering the kink at the top of the notorious corkscrew turn. Loshak overtook Greasy for a second. Loshak then wheeled his gold number three, Pennzoil, Elevon, Gaucher, Chevrolet, Camaro into the healthy lead over his teammate, and until he finished where he started the race in second. Dreesy's Blue Godzilla, King of Monsters Chevrolet Camaro, crossed the line in third, his second podium of the 2019 season. In the first of two integrated events with the National Championship, the Trans Am West Coast Championship also competed on the 11-turn, 2.28-mile WeatherTech Raceway Circuit. TA Class Points leader Simon Gregg clicked off another victory after also winning last weekend's TA West Coast Race at Auto Club Speedway, chalking his win totally win tally to two. Michael Fine took second with California native Michelle Nagai taking third. Duke Lodenberger in the Lux Performance Dodge Viper drove to near perfect race to take the checkered in the SGT West Coast class. After three years of grinding, Mitch Morvash in the Wolf Entertainment Chevrolet Corvette claimed his first Trans Am career win in the West Coast GT class. Roger Eagleton took second in the five-star prop management energy real estate Ford Mustang. Winning everything he possibly could, Francis took home the first 500 MCO Gears Top Gear Award for winning the round and for leading the race by such a large margin. Francis was also awarded with the cool shirt, cool move of the race. Carrie Hitt won the Masters Award in the TA class following a 7th place finish in the number 19 Advanced Com- Com- Composite Products Inc. Cadillac CTSV. We are standing by for Ernie Francis Jr. to call into the program. We'll give him a couple extra minutes and go ahead and listen to a selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. This is 99 Speedway. 
Hi, this is Jason Vines, author of What Did Jesus Drive? And you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. As we're standing by for Ernie Francis Jr. to call into the program, we're going to go ahead and give him a call and see if he's available to speak with us. Stand by.
Hello? Hey, Ernie Francis, you're here. This is Adam Sinclair with Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder. How are you doing this evening? Hey, doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing okay. You're live on the air. You ready? Yep. Yeah, I'm good to go. Okay. First off, congratulations on your recent victory at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Can you tell us a little bit more about the event? Yeah, no, it was a great event for us. I mean, the the first two of rounds of the season were really uh, not that great for us. Uh, had some bad luck there, and uh, really we're looking to try and turn it around at Laguna Seca. Went out there and just got focused on what we had to do, and uh, really found the speed in the car after after the practice sessions for qualifying, and uh, never kind of lost it for the rest of the weekend. What's your favorite thing about racing in Trans Am? What was that? Sorry, I couldn't hear you there. You broke up for a second. What's your favorite thing about being a Trans Am race car driver? I think uh, for me, it's just the speed. Uh, these cars, they're just so raw and and aggressive. There's no other kind of car um, out here that really drives like these with no traction control, uh, no ABS, and 850 horsepower. Um, they're, they're, they're really one-of-a-kind kind of cars, and... Uh, and I don't think there's anything that beats that. Growing up, who was your racing idol? Uh, for me growing up, um, I always kind of looked up to Dale Earnhardt Jr. I know uh, me and my dad had kind of a relationship similar to, to the one that Jr. had with his dad, um, both growing up in racing, watching my dad race throughout the years, and then me racing afterwards. So I've always kind of related to him and then his career. And what are your goals for this season? Uh, my goals for this season are the same as they were uh, the past couple of seasons, which is just uh, win another championship, uh, win races, and uh, show everybody that we can stay at the top of the game. Awesome. And now I'd like to throw you out to my co-host, who has a couple questions for you as well. Yep, no problem. So my first question, of everything you've competed in, which has been the most rewarding for you as a driver? I think the, the most rewarding thing that I've competed in has to be the Trans Am series. Uh, just the history of the series itself um, w- w- with so many years of drivers and, and, and amazing drivers and cars that have been through the series. And then to be uh, a five-time champion in the series and, and the most winningest driver in the history of the series, there's nothing that really beats that. And I think it's the most rewarding feeling for me. And you've had a pretty awesome career in your career so far, which has been your favorite race of all time and why? Uh, I think my favorite race that I've had of all time has to be uh, Coda of last season. We had a really good race with Lawrence Loshak. Um, fell back in the beginning of the part of the race, had to fight through the field a little bit. And then uh, the last 10 or 15 laps, we just had a, a back and forth battle. Ended up making a last lap pass uh, for the win and uh, came away with it, and it was a, it was an awesome race, one that I remember for a long time. And where do you see motorsports as a whole in the next five years? Um, I see it continuing to grow. I mean, it, it's tough with, with things changing, with uh, electric cars coming along. They're trying to adapt all that stuff. But, I mean, I see it evolving with it. Uh, the fans are still there. There's still a huge following for motorsports in general, and I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. And my final question for you, race cars are obviously pretty cool, but what is your favorite street car? Um, my favorite street car 
has to be a Porsche 911 GT3 RS. I've uh, been a big fan of Porsches, raced a few of them over the course of the years, and uh, just love the way they drive. There's nothing like them. And, uh, and yeah, the GT3, I've driven one of those on track before, and I absolutely love it. I, want, I love one on the street. I know you're a, a South Florida-based driver. Now you grew up down here. Um, I'm also kind of disappointed that they don't have as many Trans Am races in South Florida as they did before. I know they've raced in Homestead recently, um, as recent as, what, last year? Um, and they don't have a race scheduled at Homestead and Miami Speedway this season. Do you think they'll return to Homestead? And what is the reason, in your opinion, that they, they ended their race there? Um, I would hope that they return to Homestead. It was always a very fun race for us. It was fun being a, a local race for us. It made, us, made it nice and easy. And it's a track that I like driving on. I think uh, one of the main reasons they took it off the schedule was because they wanted to add uh, Laguna Seca to the schedule. And both of them are very long hauls for, for the team. Um, and they figured they can't have two events that are on opposite side of the country. So for right now, they opted to have Laguna instead of Homestead. And uh, I kind of agree with them on that way. Laguna is a cool track. It's a new place to go to and opens up the whole uh, West Coast for Trans Am. Awesome. Hopefully they return to, to South Florida sometime in the future. I know in the past they actually had a race at the at Palm Beach International Raceway, a Trans Am race up there. Um, hopefully they reconsider in the future. I know that they, they can't be in all places at all times and all that, but hopefully they come back down here. I think it's, it's pretty awesome to see the cars up close, and uh, hope you have a great season as well. Thank you very much for coming on the program. Yep, thank you. Have a nice evening. All right, you too. Once again, that was Ernie Francis Jr. He's one of the most successful drivers in his in his sport there in Trans Am. He's also run in IMSA in the past, and he's done a few other different cars as well. Um, I believe that he could be one of the greatest more sports drivers of the current generation, but that that uh, goes to to uh, personal opinion, I think. Um, I'm also kind of uh, impressed with the fact that he is a local driver, grew up in in Broward County. And he's raced all around here in the past several years. Hopefully, he ends up coming. The series ends up coming back to South Florida. I think that's a it's a horrible thing that they end up leaving Trans Am, leaving uh, Homestead for the for the West Coast. But I can understand why, considering there wasn't exactly the huge amount of fan support there in Homestead for the Trans Am series. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Mullally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. While we have a few minutes before our next guest is scheduled to be on the program, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the this past weekend at Dover. Uh, Dover had a really nasty rain situation there over the weekend. They attempted to start the race on Sunday for whatever reason. Only NASCAR knows that, and it didn't work out very well. They did race on Monday. Um, it looked like there was actually a decent crowd there for a Monday race, but with the with the uh, Dover um, facility there, they have a, uh, a casino attached to the track, so I think that's part of the reason why there's so many people there on a Monday. They just sort of extended their reservation for another day, um, so that's kind of cool. It wasn't exactly the most stellar race of all time on Monday afternoon there at Dover National Raceway. Um, in in fact, I started to watch it and didn't make it all the way through uh, the checking my eyelids for cracks there and ended up falling asleep pretty much halfway through the event and didn't actually even see who won until a few days ago. So uh, 
that's kind of bad. But it wasn't the best race. It wasn't the most competitive. It was just guys going around there at Dover. Um, they did try and turn it into something a little bit more exciting by, by adding in commentary and that sort of thing, which they always do, and that's fine. Um, I think one of the most important things that came out of the, the race on Monday is a, a recent news story from about Denny Hamlet, who ended up having a uh, problem with carbon monoxide poisoning while in the car. Um, that's something you don't hear about in NASCAR quite as much as you did in the past, but it has been a problem for Hamlin, who apparently is a little more susceptible to that sort of thing over the past couple of years. Um, they tried a, they've tried with a new rules package to adjust that so they don't worry about the car, but apparently they need to do a little bit more. Um, what is your opinion of the the problems that Hamlin had on the on the track on Monday? My opinion is I well for one I'm surprised that it doesn't happen more or that you know we don't hear about it more. But I mean it's it's kind of one of those things where what can you really do about it though? You're in a car for multiple hours at a time. Like, I just, I don't feel like there's really much that maybe better ventilation, but I don't Mm -hmm. feel like there's really that many ways around it. Yeah. And definitely need a a better forced air ventilation system for the drivers. Um, They probably need to check the the tubing again and make sure that there's no problem with that inside the car. But the fact that there's so many other cars running around the track and it's a rather, Dover especially, is a really short track. I need to sort of, and with the heavy air related to the front there, probably kept the kept the fumes there on the track level a lot more concentrated than there at other facilities. Um, I know there's been a, that's been a problem in the past. Um, Rick Mass there, the former NASCAR driver, he actually spent nearly two years asleep after he retired to try and get his energy back after all the, the years of carbon monoxide inhalation he suffered from. Uh, just got out of bed and to eat and go to the bathroom. But basically spent two years taking a long nap. Uh, that might sound like fun to some people. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. But it's definitely not the way to, to live out a couple of years of your life there. Uh, and I know that the if the Dan Hamlin might have been, end up with the same issue in the future, and there's other drivers as well have had, have had some susceptibility issues to, to inhalation of carbon monoxide. So it's definitely something you have to look into. Maybe they'll they'll make some adjustments in the in the current model of the car. I know they should make adjustments in the next model that they're going to be working on soon. So that'll be another thing they need to work on. Um, also, in in other news, we've got a uh, there's been some talk in in IMSA about the fact that the the DPI model might be adapted to racing in Europe for the FIA World Endurance Championship. Um, that would be a pretty awesome thing to happen. Um, DPI was originally thought of as a future for sports car racing. And we will ask our next guest to go to Dickerson about that because he does have some experience in IMSA. In fact, he won the the LMP3 race this past weekend at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But I think that's kind of an interesting development in, in the International Motorsports Association and the, F, and the FIA. And we'll see how that goes in the future. It was a dominating effort for a pair of first-time IMSA racers in Sunday's IMSA prototype college race at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Dakota Dickinson and Dylan Murray, both relatively new to the series LMP3 platform, teamed up for the first time this season and immediately gave the number 54 MLT Motorsports Ligier JS 
P3 team its first win in its second start. There was no magic pit strategy or luck involved as the two youngsters led the majority of the one-hour, 45-minute race. Diggerson, 22, needed just 10 minutes to move from fourth to first at the start of the race and held that position until he pitted with 50 minutes remaining. From there, he handed the car to Murray, 18, who held off a hard-charging Neil Alberico in the number four ANSA Motorsports Leger JSP3 during the closing laps to secure the victory. The win caps off a career weekend for Murray, who one day ago finished a career-best second in the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge race and a Mercedes-AMG GT4 for Riley Motorsports. He debuted in the MLT Motorsports LMP3 one race ago at Sebring International Raceway alongside his father, David Murray. For Dickerson, it was his first career IMSA win after starting his career in open-wheel cars. The 2018 F4 U.S. champion was introduced to the LMP3 platform at the Michelin IMSA Sports Car Encore at Sebring International Raceway in November, where he drove in that event for ANSA Motorsports. Alvarico made a few late runs at Murray in the closing laps of the event, but ultimately finished 1.046 seconds back in, in second place with co-driver Leo Lamelas. It was a good point stay for the duo after an early race second in points behind number 47, 47 Motorsports duo of Austin McCusker and Rodrigo Flucker. That's an unfortunate last name. Who finished fourth? <laughs> it was also an impressive performance for the number 60 Wolver Racing Team of Bruce Hamilton and Tony Casement. Case the duo started in the 20th position and executed a flawless race, ultimately moving to third position for their second podium of the season finishing 13th but winning the bronze cup for the highest running bronze only driver lineup was joe rob rob robillard robillard it was the second consecutive winning weekend for robillard the robillard racing team owner watched as stephen mc oh lord mcclear won overall at sebring international raceway one race ago before winning the bronze cup at mid ohio the top five positions were made up of five different teams, with 47 Motorsports fourth and the number nine JDC Motorsports Norma M3, M30 of Jerry Kraut and Scott Andrews rounding out the top five. The IMSA Pro Side Challenge now has a two-month break before the final three-race stretch of the season begins at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park the weekend of July 5th through the 7th. The NBC broadcast of the Mid-Ohio Race will air tomorrow, Friday, May 10th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. While we're standing by for Dakota Dickerson to call back into the program, let's go ahead and listen to another selection from Ron Posada and the pit crew. Let's find it. Stand by. Your last when you crash.
Once again, that was a little snippet of Last When You Crash from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. We are now happy to welcome Dakota Dickerson back to the program once again. How are you doing this hey, evening? Good, how are you? Pretty good. First off, congratulations on your win at Mid-Ohio. I know it's a little bit different sort of racing for you, but can you tell us a little bit more about the event? Yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, this is my second ever IMSA event, first official one, because the uh, last time I drove the LMP3 car was at the Encore, so it was good to be back in the car. Kind of a crazy weekend weather-wise for us. Um, we had a storm come through, so Thursday and Friday we really didn't get too much track time in the dry. Uh, come qualifying on Saturday, it was, again, mixed conditions, like track was drying. So the first time that I ever really got any dry laps in was during the race, um, and it was at the end of my stint, really. So it was uh, kind of just a learning experience throughout the entire weekend, trying to figure out where, where the limit was and everything. But all in all, it was super good. The, it was the second time ever MLT has entered a, a LMP3 race, first time ever working with Dylan Murray. So to be able to get a win that last weekend is, is definitely really special. There's been some recent news in IMSA circles that the uh, the DPI format is being considered for racing at, at Le Mans and possibly even being adapted by the FIA World Endurance Championship in a couple of years. How do you feel about that, and do you think there's any truth to those rumors? Yeah, I, I think that's that's awesome. It'd be great to see some of the DPI cars running over in Le Mans. I think it's kind of nice to see the intermingling between the FIA and IMSA and everything. So um, to be able to have that opportunity for a lot of the teams is really great. I don't know what that looks like in terms of a timeline as to when those cars would be allowed to go over. I know there's probably a lot of development work that has to go into something like that, but certainly as a driver who's currently in LMP3, and you know, obviously my aspirations are still to remain in, in open wheel, but LMP3 and having a Liget car behind me is uh, definitely a, a joy. So being able to look up into DPI and see a path into Le Mans is certainly really exciting. Um, as you mentioned, you compete in three different classes this year. Uh, which one's your favorite so far? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've driven so far F3, LMP3, um, driving US 50,000 this weekend. Um, for me, personally, the, the F3 and the, the LMP3 are an absolute blast to drive. Um, both are completely different than each other, obviously, with the F3 car being a, a very light uh, Formula car with sprint race format, and then you have the LMP3 car, which is a bit heavier, has a bit more power, uh, roof over my head with the endurance racing format. So both are, are very different but very fun at the same time. I've grown up doing Formula cars my entire life, so I have to say the F3 car, built by Liger, having a Honda power plant behind me run by SCCA. It's a lot of fun to be able to race against some, some great guys across the country. And where do you see yourself in five years? Um, in, in five years, hopefully we'd be in IndyCar and, and at that point winning an IndyCar as well. So F, doing F3 this year, hopefully we could win that championship and move up into another open wheel ladder series um, here in the States, try and get another step closer to IndyCar. So the goal, I'd say, is to be in IndyCar within the next two to three years and I guess in five years be one of the, the top or winning drivers in IndyCar. So hopefully by then we can start having the, the Dickerson name being more well-established in the uh, racing family household. Well, let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally. There's a couple of questions for you as well. 
So coming off of your win this past weekend, what was the toughest part of the race for you? Um, I'd say the the toughest part of the race for me probably was the was the changing track conditions. So we started the race fourth and got up to the lead relatively quickly. I think after about ten minutes we were in the lead. So you're kind of having to assess the track each and every lap because it was consistently changing. Mid-Ohio in the wet is already a really tricky situation, but Mid-Ohio drying with another 20 cars attacking behind you is certainly a whole other beast as well just because um, you can never really stay comfortable in the car. You always have to be pushing the limits, but pushing the limits can obviously have really high consequences, especially when leading the race. So the toughest part for me was balancing how, how hard do you push while still being able to maintain a good gap. And, I, you know, obviously I wanted to give the car off the Dillon with quite a substantial gap. Um, so that was probably one of the most difficult parts of the weekend. And what is the toughest race you compete in? The toughest race that I compete in is, I, I would say both both LMP3 and F3 are extremely competitive. I would say F3 is, is obviously a, a was a, is and, and was a really steep learning curve coming from F4 just because of the power plant and everything behind it. So F3, I'm, I'm still learning a lot about how to drive an aero-based car, mainly racing an aero-based car and dealing with the 303 horsepower that Honda puts out. So I'd say in that general aspect, F3 is, is a very competitive series. To answer your question, a very um, fine answer. I'd say the, the hardest race, the most difficult race is the one you've just lost. That's the definitely the hardest one to take in but oftentimes it's the one that you learn the most from so at the same time it's a it's a good thing and who has been the biggest inspiration for you throughout your career well definitely my family my mom and my dad have been there since day one uh they've been a a huge huge help for me both you know supporting me coming through go-karts and everything but racing's a, a really tough sport it knocks you down a lot and and having such supportive parents that have helped you know bring me up to this this sport has been incredibly helpful and I definitely wouldn't be where I am right now without them and my final question although I definitely believe you just answered this one if you could race any series aside from the ones you currently compete in what would it be definitely IndyCar IndyCar is the the top prospect for me you know I, there's I think a it always usually comes down when you're talking about the open wheel guys, it always comes down between formula one and IndyCar. for me. IndyCar has definitely been a, a place that I've always wanted to grow up racing, watching the Indy 500 and those, watching those guys come up to the ranks like Joseph Newgarden coming through the road to Indy and you know, doing the team USA scholarship. And now having Honda backing at four and F three and developing a ladder series that supports young drivers moving through the Honda program to hopefully get into a Honda powered IndyCar. Um, certainly IndyCar would be the, the place for me to be. With you currently competing in the LMP3 series, at least at least the one race there in mid-Ohio, and the, as you mentioned, the race in Sebring, is there a chance of us seeing you in a, uh, in Daytona next year? Daytona would be awesome. I, 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 I'm trying to work on next year currently, and the, the difficult thing about Daytona is obviously it starts so early. So, you know, a January race really takes – you know, we got to get start getting that program together in September, October. So we're we're working on that right now. Whether that's in an LMP3 or in a GT car, maybe in, in one of Acura's GT cars, I don't know, um, to be determined right now. But that would be 
that'd be a lot of fun. Currently trying to work on a deal right now to be back at uh, MLT for at LMP3 in the Ligier car at Moss Sport as well. So that's that's kind of the next big question mark on my plate right now that we're trying to secure is whether or not you can see me back at Moss Sport with them. So. Awesome. Well, once again, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program tonight. Hopefully we can talk to you again a little bit later in the season see how your, how your gear is going. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Have a great Great evening. Once again, that was Dakota Dickerson, another one of the up-and-coming future of more sports and probably a name you're definitely going to hear a lot of in the coming years. So what's the big news story going on in the West Coast racing right now? Any any exciting prospects for you or anything you're following that's, uh, that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, well, we've got a car pretty much ready to go. Now it's just kind of finding the time. Um, yeah, but we've actually been to quite a few races this year so far. So that's great. But, yeah, we have a car ready to go. Now it's just a matter of finding the time since I started working again. It's kind of hard, but this season, this season, hopefully, we'll have some more to talk about. Awesome. How was the event out at Hermiston Raceway? I know you posted about that a little while ago. It was actually a lot of fun. I had that was the first time I'd been there in like like three years, so I didn't really know what to expect. But I think that going to be our new track it was fun the flagging was fair i mean it was good racing the crowd was awesome they sold out like it was a full house and yeah i don't know i just the flagging it plays a big part in it if the flagging isn't fair or you're not even really trying to flag then i mean like what's the point in watching but the flagging was awesome. The people were awesome. And we will be attending again. Cool. Well, it sounds like that's a that's a pretty neat deal. I know that the, that I, I had mentioned on your Facebook page about possibly getting some of the people from Hermiston on the program. Hopefully we end up doing that in the future. Uh, that would be a pretty cool deal as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, have to start asking around. I don't really know any of the people from Hermiston, but I mean, who wouldn't want to come on the show? So Exactly. That's how it goes. We have the biggest name in, names in motorsports coming on now, so we need to promote the local guys who can end up becoming the biggest names of the future. Absolutely. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of more sports at SpeedwayDigest.com. I've recently updated a, a bunch of stories there on the in the racing news section as well as a couple on the on the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series section. So be sure to check that out. Uh, there's some great contests going on from Quaker State, which I mentioned the other day. Uh, 
Um, so that, you might want to check that out, see if you can win some awesome stuff from them. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Favorfum's Fantastic Finds. We're making some great inroads there. We've got some people contacting us with new information every day, so it's kind of coming together better than I thought it would. It can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and by heading to HTTP, F-A-V-O-R-P-L-U-M-B-S, fantasticfinds.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we shift gears a bit and chat about the world of competitive eating, ice cream, and more as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great week, and we'll see you again next time.